tuned into this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 420 with Nathan Heaney, and in that episode we discuss maximum aerobic speed versus tempo training. But in this clip we have a little chat around maximum aerobic speed. What is it? What are the misconceptions around it? And what do you need to know to be able to program based on it with your athletes? But just before we do dive into this episode with Nathan, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you're looking for a free solution to be able to collect, analyze, visualize, and present data to coaches, check out AMS Lite from Rock Daisy at rockdaisy.com. Right, we're going to dive into the, the meat of the conversation, which is maximal aerobic speed to MAS and tempo running. And that was, like I said, right at the start, was the basis of your article. Very balanced view with a nice little, well, lots of uh, takeaways at the end. So I think the best place to start, again, maybe quash some misconceptions around this. But what is MAS? And probably even more importantly, what isn't MAS based on the misconceptions that I've mentioned? Yep, yep. And this is a, such a key point because I've been involved in the occasional Twitter spat with with, uh, with other coaches and practitioners. And the generally, most people assume that MAS is a singular session or a couple of sessions, which it absolutely isn't. <laughs> like it is maximal aerobic speed is an intensity measure. So the, the, the concept, so maximal aerobic speed, it stems from the original research done in velocity, looking at velocity of VO2 max within with middle distance runners. So that's, you know, that's the gold standard measure. But clearly, the application of velocity of VO2 max is limited in a team sport setting because there's a whole host of issues with it. You don't have a you don't have access to a lab. It's expensive. It's onerous. It's time. Yeah, there's lots of time constraints. Blah blah blah. Those things mean that the concept maximum aerobic speed was introduced and hence why it's been used so well across certain sectors. So when we think about maximum aerobic speed and, it, and its major benefit, I guess we can break it down into a few steps. So the first step is the identification of um, what test provides you with the most valid and reliable MAS measure. But alongside that, we're also looking at determining um, and assessing aerobic fitness. So that's, that's almost like first step that you've got to do. From there, once we've conducted the test, we are determining maximum aerobic speed. So the nuance behind that does depend on the test you use. But again, that's beyond the scope of, of today's podcast. We then use it to prescribe training effectively. And then we then the beauty of this method and model, because it is so objective, is you can really, really stringently analyze your sessions. So for example, I'll often look at what I've prescribed, how the athletes have performed the session and go, okay, how accurate was my prescription? What wriggle room do I have? What progressions can I make beyond this session? So it's a really clear, uh, it provides me with a really clear and objective overview of, of how to approach the training. So I think that's the that's probably one of the, the, I guess the key differentiators, which is really misunderstood. It is not a session, it is an intensity measure used to prescribe objective conditioning. And I think the one thing, and you may mention this, there's, there's tools out there that'll help practitioners use that intensity measure to go, uh, what what kind of adaptation do I want? And how do I, how, how far above that do I go? How far below that do I go? And there's, like I say, tools out there that can help that prescription side as well. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's where, when we think about the actual hip prescription, that um, it is, for some people, it is very overwhelming. Like, and that's feedback I've got from a lot of people. Like, they'll get to writing a strength program and they, it's sort of, they, they know exactly what to do. It's second nature to them. They understand the, the training variables that, that they've got to manipulate. When it comes to conditioning prescription, a lot of people get to it and go, they're sort of left scratching the head going, oh, I don't really know what to do. And especially when you throw for, for what people perceive initially as an added complexity with the introduction of maximal aerobic speed, they are sort of left um, a little bit wanting and, and don't really understand. So absolutely, there's, there's a multitude of different tools available. So if we think about the, the, you know, that first step of the process, which is determining an accurate maximal aerobic speed value, depending on the test you use, there's a multitude of different regression equations available, which help, irrespective of the test you use, help you to elicit and ascertain the most accurate MAS possible within the constraints of your environment. And then from there, you can be much more confident with your prescription. So I think the, the, the I guess the major point behind that is I completely acknowledge that in some settings, and I've been involved in these myself, even though you're the expert in the area, you don't always get the final say on the test use for fitness testing. You know, some sports have, um, a, 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 there's a particular cultural significance with a certain test, so they're loath to change it. So as such, it might be a deep, beep test or a time trial variation. There, there are equations available which help tidy up the, the determination of MAS, which you need to do first and foremost before you even bother prescribing training using MAS. Excellent. And you mentioned in the article about Eurofit and one of Dan Baker's articles that maybe got taken out of context and misunderstood. Would you mind just explaining that for us? So I think people will have heard of that and a lot of people would have read that article however many years ago it was. Yeah. And Dan, again, I hope my article didn't come across as uh, being critical of Dan. It was a great article and a terrific overview of maximal aerobic speed and how it can be used. I think what happened though, which is through no fault of Dan's, people said because he wrote it in such a way that it was really simple to follow, which was which was the why it, like, why it gained so much traction. Most people thought, well, I like this concept. I'm just going to implement it as he's written it. So really, all they did was go, okay, maximal aerobic speed. I'm going to implement it, and it's two different types of sessions. It's either the Eurofit method, or the or the work with active recovery method, which is 170, the, the rectangle. So for, from, I've had countless people come up and say to me that they, they are prescribing MAS and it is just one of those two sessions, but more often than not, it is the Eurofit method. So, um, and I think this is where some of the, I guess, um, the misunderstanding around its use, I think this is where a lot of it stems from because if you approach it like that, you have done maximal aerobic speed, the concept and, and the training tool, a massive disservice. So I often see people that have really strong track and field backgrounds. They're often very anti-MAS and that's fine. Like everyone can have their own bias and their own approach and, and training philosophy. But largely for most of them, it's underpinned by this, I guess, this sort of misunderstanding. So I think that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a really key point. Um, and then I think the other point that, that, is, that is worth highlighting is there's two trains of thought from people too. They either think the method or the concept is either way too fatiguing or not fatiguing enough. 
which again highlights the lack of understanding of it as a concept because the beauty of MAS, much like when you prescribe using a percentage of RM or when you use velocity for uh, for strength training, you can change it. You know, if you want if you if you want to reduce the intensity of a session, reduce it by two and a half percent, reduce it by five percent. You've gone from a high intensity stimulus to a moderate intensity, and that might be suffice. So, again, whenever I hear those arguments, it's it's clear, for me alarm bells go off, and I think, well, they just don't understand the concept. Um, and I think the the probably the starkest example I can provide, and this comes up a lot when I conduct those um, ASCA courses, and also when I've, I've conducted a lot of consultancy through um, TCC, I often see practitioners try and implement um, MAS, but have very limited practical experience doing it. So it's great that they're trying, but they'll prescribe a session with a 10% MAS range. So like that completely defeats the purpose of, of the prescription because the whole point of prescribing objective conditioning is that it is accurate and effective. So that would be akin to prescribing um, strength training with a 10% RM differential, which people would never do. So again, those like those layers of, of uh, misconception just permeate the industry. So I think hopefully, you know, by virtue of some of these articles and I guess platforms such as TCC, there's obviously heaps of other, a few others out there that also provide really good reputable conditioning related information, but hopefully we can slowly um, change the perception that around MAS and its application, I'm not saying that it, it's the only way to do things. I absolutely, that's not the case. And I'll talk about how I've used Tempo later in the podcast. And it's, a, it's an awesome tool to use. It just has some limitations when we talk about aerobic fitness adaptation. Would you mind giving people a, a little bit of a guideline or maybe guidelines of how we can use percentage of MAS to hit different physical uh, adaptations? Is yeah, right? I think... Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. So I think probably the easiest way to break it down is if we break session types down. So if we think about long interval, for example, so think anywhere from one to four minutes, I'm not going to go into the thresholdy type intervals because again, I, I don't think it, it'll sort of resonate that strongly with your audience. But if we think of start with long interval as, a, as, a, as the first uh, interval type, think of one to four minutes, Generally, the range there is 92.5% MAS all the way through to 100%. So you've got sort of a 7.5% um, MAS range that caters for three to four minutes differential. So that gives people a bit of a guide as to the, the, the nuance. And then when we start looking at short interval, this is where it does get a lot more complex because there's, a, I guess, a couple of layers to it. So if we think about short aerobic interval, we're looking at, uh, sort of two to one, three to one work to rest ratios with this type of approach. And by virtue of that, we are looking at an MAS range of about 97 and a half all the way through to 105 at the top end, 110. But that's that's very rare. And then once we move beyond 110% MAS, we start transitioning into something entirely different. That is called short, super maximal high intensity interval training. And that's when we're looking at prescribing above 110% MAS. And then once we do that, we then introduce another concept entirely, which I use a lot. And I've, I've you know, I've recorded a webinar on for, for TCC, and that is obviously anaerobic speed reserve. And I guess the, the main rationale for that is, um, if I reflect back on my time at the VIS, so probably about 10 years ago now, um, I was um, 
doing exactly what I've sort of spoken to you about. And I've been, I was prescribing some short super maximal hit with um, a hockey group. And I'd sort of worked through sequentially using a relatively linear uh, periodization model with the conditioning, got to th- this conditioning type. And I sort of was watching, I was running the sessions and I was noticing that there was lots of shuffling. I was having to shuffle players up and down groups a lot, much more than any other session. So I was sort of scratching my head thinking, why am I doing, like, why am I having to do this? This is sort of unlike me. I don't have to change it too much. I kind of, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty confident with my prescription. Anyway, I sort of got onto the uh, ASR concept, which really at that point in time, there was a scarcity of available research on. So this was back in 2013. And uh, there was, it'd been used a little bit for performance prediction um, by, um, by, I guess, a, a few track and field groups. And then Martin Bouchet had looked at it a little bit more, but more through tolerance to high intensity interval training. So then I looked at it for the purpose of guiding super maximal hit prescription. And I found that despite when you, you know, despite looking at, if you looked at the average distances for the group, they were basically, there was no difference. But one thing that became really apparent when I implemented the ASR concept with this type of conditioning is that it resulted in a much more consistent stimulus. So what I mean by that is for players that were identified as fast or slow, this concept accounted for that much better. So for example, the faster athletes definitely were, you know, they were forced to run more distance in the, in those specific repetitions and those sessions. And then conversely, the slower athletes were forced to run um, less distance. And once I implemented that approach and I've, I've, you know, I've written a, a paper on it, um, the, the stimulus I was imposing was much more consistent and I wasn't having to shuffle the players around all the time. So I found like that was a, an awesome um, avenue for me to use. And, and since then I've, I've, you know, whenever I've gone into this phase of, or this type of conditioning prescription, uh, it is my go-to. I, I would never prescribe using just a percentage of MAS for that type of conditioning. So very long-winded answer, Rob, sorry to, to your original question, but it gives us, a, I guess we're sort of broken down um, the, the sort of the main conditioning types that people would use for MAS. And then obviously there's there's one that I've kind of left out and that is the short anaerobic supermaximal work or otherwise known as speed endurance work or tempo work. And again, there's a few different avenues for that, but I guess we'll, we'll, we can cover that a little bit later in the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip came from episode number 420, which you can find on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to you for tuning in. Also, big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. And I'll chat to you next time.